Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life Podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you can join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group, where we discuss topics from the shows. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com on the contact page. And while you're there, check out the new artwork I've been creating. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support my art and the Art and Life podcast on my Patreon page. Just search Taylor Gallegos Art. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and this is great. This is a nationwide podcast today, and with me today, I have Nadia Tauhun and Cesar Castro from the Flower Shop Collective. So Nadia and Cesar, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having us, Taylor. We're excited. Great. Me too. Me too. So, uh, I mean, let's just dive right into it. Nadia, Cesar, why don't you tell us who you are, where you're from, what it is you do, and uh, how you got from point A to point B. Yeah. Uh, My name is Nadia. I'm from Miami, Florida. Um, I live in Brooklyn now. I've been here for 10 years. Um, I run Flower Shop Collective which is a art and fabrication studio that is designed to help emerging artists, especially women, um, artists of color and immigrant artists sort of find community and achieve whatever they wanna achieve with their mediums and their craft. Uh, I, Flower Shop's about two years old now, um, but I also am a freelance film producer and that's what I was doing. Up, all up until Flower Shop. I still do it, uh, but uh, if, if I love a project, but that's what I was doing before Flower Shop Collective. Uh, and yeah, that's how I, that's how I got here. Yeah, um, I'm Cesar Castro, I'm from Bogota, Colombia. Um, I moved to Miami, lived uh, there for a while. 
uh, came here to New York for college. Um, I studied uh, international studies and political science, but ended up in the art field. Uh, I ended up working for uh, contemporary artists and I'm still there now. Um, I lead the fabrication department and uh, for the artists. Um, and then subsequently that started me uh, venturing into my own art and me doing my uh, own artistic development and uh, which later uh, became a part of um, Flower Shop Co Collective. And uh, we, I helped out through like making the fabrication process and making it understandable for all new artists to come in, have them, having them uh, ease into uh, the studio and talk to them to develop their uh, artistic development. Awesome, awesome. So it seems like there's like a process of bringing people into the community that is the Flower Shop Collective and that that needs to like, you know, consciously be assisted and guided. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so how how it started was I actually worked at the same studio that Cesar is working at right now, and that's where we met. Um, and how it started was I just had all these friends who either worked in production or for advertising studios or larger studios, and they weren't really making their own work uh, because you're like busy working your day job. Uh, but all these people are artists in their own right, so it's sort of for me, it seemed like a shame, like that they don't have the uh, opportunity or the like. Sometimes it's confidence, or sometimes just like, hey, people do want to see your work um, to be able to make their own stuff. So then I started talking with somebody that I used to work in a production company with. Her name's Jess Bass, and she was a huge help. Uh, she's a sculptor at a sculptor out of Chicago. She helped me kick off Flower Shop, and I was telling her like I have all these friends who are really talented artists, um, and I just want to throw a show where they can like have the reason to make their own work. And um, the 60 LES Hotel, which is like this like hip hotel in the Lower East Side agreed for us to sh throw like a Valentine's Day show there. So I asked all this artists to make like a flower sculpture or something like that because it was Valentine's Day. And that's kind of where we got our name. Uh, and it was a huge hit. Like, I think like over 150 people showed up. They had to sort of like start letting people in. It got too crowded at one point. Um, it's also pre-pandemic. Uh, but it was like really fun. And then from there, uh, I was like, maybe this is, I have something here because clearly artists need, want to, to group in community. And I think a lot of the times when it comes to personal work, you sort of, people, artists can be very hard on themselves and like, I need to be producing this, this, this now, or, oh my God, I'm this old and I haven't done this or whatever. And it's like, actually, you just need a group of people to talk it out with and to skill share and, um, yeah, and to work together. And then it was Flower Shop for a long time was sort of like a digital concept of artists like doing their own stuff in their own studios or room houses, whatever. Uh, and then it was running out of our second bedroom for a little bit. Um, and then in October of last year, we got a space in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, which we, um, as of January, started opening it up to artists that were not necessarily in my like circle that I don't know. And the response to that has been great because we are offering like studio um, accessibility on a sliding scale, um, just as another way to sort of break down 
all the barriers for equity that exist for artists. Because I think especially in a city like New York that is incredibly expensive to live in, having an, a studio and then an apartment is sort of unrealistic for a lot of people in our industry. Um, and so I just wanted to sort of be like, we don't need to check your credit. We don't need to do this, that, just like come and make work and pay on a sliding scale. And it's been really beautiful. We've met so many cool people this way. Uh, that's awesome. Totally. And uh, I mean, what I was like, wanted to interject there when you said it's like really hard to have an apartment and then a studio also, uh, it's like the part I was going to say is at the beginning, especially, you know, like yeah. once you get established, once you get a name, a following, a community, uh, like, you know, you get a flow, then it's a lot easier and you can start bringing in money. But like the hardest part is that first window of time where you need to get the flow of creates creation of whatever you make. And then you also need like, it's like you need an incubator where you can just make your art, you can build your community. Maybe you sell a little piece, a little painting here and there. And like, yeah, it's not going to pay the bills, but it's going to, it like gets the flow going. And you know, it's like, all these, all these elements of being a professional artist of whatever craft it is you do, it's like we're all, they're all muscles. All these parts of it are muscles and we have to like develop those muscles. And at first, you know, it's so hard to do a push up, but then like you start to get used to it and then you maybe do it every week and then every day and then every, you know, then you can do push ups left and right and you get really good at them. But like if you have to, have that like room to to get started and it seems like that's what you guys are really offering to people yeah and i think the you're right especially in the beginning and i i i i say that as well that like creating is a muscle um and i think that if if you have a space be it digitally because some of our artists don't necessarily live in new york um but if you have a space and a and a group of people that are like constantly there for support be it like 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 sessa is kind of like a sculpture fabrication expert at this point so if we have artists who have questions about like I don't know how to turn their digital uh, drawing into like a 3D object, just to have somebody there who is willing and able to help you skill, like swap skill sharing or something like that, I think is, is really beneficial to the practice, especially in the beginning, because then you are, you are your own PR team. You are your own like art handler. You are your own, where a lot of these big artists have like whole teams and you have to sort of do this by yourself as like a small, business owner or a small per person with your own practice. So um, that's something that I we push heavily at Flower Shop is like community, community, community. And I really think that it has to do with our, the fact that a lot of the artists who um, are involved with Flower Shop like come from immigrant households, come from um, sort of all diverse backgrounds. And we sort of understand like that individualism isn't necessarily the way. Yeah, totally. And like the the business side, is something that's really challenging at first especially if you're a creative of any kind like my mind did not work that way at the beginning and so like and i mean cesar you it seems like you've got a lot of experience in the professional world and like um i'm sure you're really valuable around the flower shop with just like helping out with that yeah we wouldn't be able to do anything without yeah, cesar. and uh it's really um i think what's really cool is uh helping out um smaller artists that don't necessarily um, are, are like familiar with being helped. 
Um, a lot of these um, artists that, that I see around are like uh, fresh out of college and they don't know what to do. They only have their uh, peers that are also trying to survive after graduating from college. And like, what do we do? Uh, and not, there's not a lot of help out there and like you can't really apply uh, for grants and all these benefits unless you take a lot of time out to yeah. do that. And that takes a ton of time. So uh, it's really hard when you still have to, to work to, sur to survive. Um, so it's really good to help um, other artists to, to uh, talk to them and see what the best way we can do uh, situation or, or tackle a new project. Uh, and in the big part, like you were saying, one of the biggest things, and I, I think I struggled uh, in the beginning as far as uh, being my own artist is uh, the whole financial side and like, how do we manage this? How do we get the right money to fund this project? Uh, and even from uh, where I work at, it's already like been established. So finding the money is not necessarily a problem because there's a gallery. Uh, so like, I don't run into that problem when uh, doing bigger works, but when it comes to your personal stuff, it's like, you're basically taking sometimes like food out of your mouth to, uh, to be able to, to make a sculpture or to buy those paints or do this. And, um, and that's where like Nadia has really become strong and helped me out. Uh, and just as she can help any, any one member in like a uh, flower shop is to orientate and see the best way how to make projects possible, how, how to get into fairs or, or, um, or any group shows. Totally. That's really cool. I mean, it almost feels like, like, do you feel like you're kind of building a curriculum for like professional artists, like getting into the world? I mean, it seems like you've got all the building blocks to help people. Yeah, actually, it's really funny that you said that because tomorrow we're releasing something called Slow Process Summer, uh, which is our curriculum for the summer. Um, but that's more about what we're going to be talking about this summer, which is slow processes and that you actually don't have to like factory style push things out to make good work. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think when it comes to Flower Shop and who we have in here, we, ha we definitely have... Um, people on all sorts of sides of the scale in terms of like, uh, what's it called level, like how long they've been doing it. Uh, so I think it's cool to have people, like Cesar was saying, fresh out of college come in and sort of be kind of enamored with the idea that like, um, you actually don't have to do everything by yourself or like stuff like that. And then we'll have people like Cesar or some other people at Flower Shop who are very um, well versed in that. And I, I also think it comes from like my film production background because film production is um, like, it's always understood that a lot of people are needed to make a film. Um, so I've never not thought that um, just because of the medium that I've worked in. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. I think at Flower Shop, what we hope to do is we hope to provide a space physical and digital for inspiration and for people to sort of not feel alone and not feel like they need to have everything figured out by themselves, but also that they need to be creating by themselves. Um, I think that, I don't know, I'm a big believer that it might not be the greatest work you can do if it's completely in isolation. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think a lot of artists in, especially in like the formal training of like a university art program or something like that, we're sort of like, 
trained that way that this is your project this is your grade for your project this is like it's your individual um dive in and it's probably i don't know maybe it's part of like the bigger picture of the artistic culture of the united states perhaps i don't really know because i'm not from anywhere else but um it definitely seems like it's kind of like an individualistic thing and, and art reflects life and culture and so like maybe there's this like that like we're all reflections of the culture that we're from and in yeah i mean i think i think that that's a great point well because when i i went to parsons for school and i started as a photo major and in those like first years before i switched to film it was very much like yeah you have to do it yourself and then you have crit and then you have to defend your own idea and then uh and then when i switched over to film like you actually have a lot of it was group work because somebody's doing the camera somebody's directing so um, which I like better in general, um, but I, I think I think you're right, and I think also art school doesn't necessarily prepare you for what you're going to do after. So there's a lot of like it trains you to talk about your themes and concepts very well, but it doesn't train you to understand that oh you might be doing gig work for a really long time to support your practice, or you might get like a corporate job and then have to do your practice at nighttime or whatever. It doesn't necessarily tell you all the avenues that you're, or you can get a career in fine art um, working for another artist or an, a large institution. Uh, it, I don't know, it was never talked about, which I think is like pretty, is pretty bad for our industry. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, like where I work at, we have a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of people, it takes to make one art piece, it goes through a lot of people. It's not just one artist doing it. Um, you know, it goes from conception uh, to actually making it tangible, making a, a prototype or a positive tangible to now translating that into whatever final form we want to make it. Uh, and that involves, you know, a whole village to make it happen. So you can't be an individual. And uh, I think we all fight to be like, I got to do this painting by myself. I got to do this alone, which is great because I guess you're learning and you're seeing how it works and you understand it. But uh, at a certain point, there's so much to be made uh, in so little time, you're going to have to accept or you're going to have to ask for some help and be like, hey, can you help me sculpt this? Or uh, And also the, the amount of stuff you can learn by doing so, by having some, by talking to someone, telling, telling them like, hey, can we sculpt this together? I'm not the best sculptor but can we, can we do it together? And you're just like growing uh, if you're bringing more people to your, to your circle. And I think it's totally okay if, uh, if you're not doing your art alone and if you're doing your art uh, in, in conjunction with other people, but you, know, you, ha you have to let people know you did this uh, with help and with like uh, a bunch of people uh, supporting you. Yeah, it's interesting because it makes all that that you're saying, it's like, it it reminds me of the concepts of uh, the ego and our attachment to our own ego and to the, the like structures that sort of define us and our egos and like art is an extension of ourselves. And it's like, it's, um, you know, so that it's like a vulnerable share from ourselves. And so then we can get attached to that. And so I think there's like sort of this like battle, but when you, when you bring other people in, then it, you have to release your attachment to different things to work as a team. And, and then it almost like, just even talking about it, it feels a little bit lighter, you know, like 
the mood, you know, like, okay, we're working together. Like it's your ideas and my ideas. And then it like releases that attachment a little bit. And I think it can be less daunting and less stressful. Yeah. <laughs> like, creator especially in the beginning yeah I think because I mean when you make when you continue to make work and years go by I think then you can be a little bit more honed into what you're trying to say or do uh, but in the beginning I think there's a lot of I, I mean just this last week we did some um, artist tours of people who uh, would like to become members of flower shop and I usually just like let them around the space and tell them about what we do and uh, more than one of the art like I think we, I did like five tours last week and at least half of them were saying were kept apologizing because they didn't have their um like artist statement down when they were telling it to me and I was just like that's like the, that's great it's great that you don't know that uh so I thought even from the beginning because they're fresh out of school they're like you know 21 years old and there's, there's this like anxiety that I need to have everything figured out right now. Everything needs to be connected thematically. Like, and it's, 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 I don't know that to me, that was like, oh, like, but I also remember being like that, like, this is what I'm here to say as an artist. So uh, I don't know. And I think like this Tuesday, for example, we're going to do our first, it's a bit of a strange time, which is why we were so excited to get the summer kicked off because this last year, since we got the physical space, we've been doing our due diligence of trying to keep everybody separate because of um, because of the pandemic. So I was trying to keep like maximum two people in the space at all times, like that kind of stuff. And then now I'm trying to like bring everybody together that hasn't met each other except for online because they come in different like you know time slots. Um, so this Tuesday we're gonna do our first community crit night which we're just gonna basically give the floor to the artists that are involved and whatever they're working on or questions that they have that they are trying to work through or if somebody needs help. So a little bit like a stand-up meeting, like when, like this is what I need or this is what I'm like would like to do. Does anybody have any advice? And I'm really excited about it um, because I think people who went to art school probably miss it. And then people who have never gone to art school well, are probably going to be like interested. They're probably going to like the the concept of it. Yeah, that's um. I wanted to add on that that uh, in tying up before and like working in groups and letting go of uh, your ego to just manifest your own ideas upon the paper or canvas. Uh, one of the things like I didn't go to art school, so I didn't go through uh, to crit or any, anything like that. But uh, when I do work with the team and I work on making a sculpture, I don't never rely on myself alone. We huddle up, we talk about it. I state my idea, even if it's stupid, it could be just something to start off. And then we bounce off of each other. We have uh, all different expertise, our backgrounds. So we all think differently, but we'll come up with the best way to make something uh, that has a good armature that won't break apart that won't hurt someone because that's ultimately if you do so if you hang something on the wall or something and it doesn't hang it's gonna fall on someone or hurt like that's how I think so um it allows you to bounce off ideas it allows you to have other people tell you like hey you're not thinking right uh she didn't do that that way let's do it this way so it's kind of a crit in a way uh and I think that allows a lot of uh of development for the better um, and when doing this in your own personal work, um, I think it helps to flush out your own ideas way better and to like uh, consolidate and, make, and, and refine it to, to, to make it uh, evolve through time. And, um, and that's like how Nadia was saying that like 
some of the art, artists don't have the artist famous uh, locked down straight up. Um, I think that's a, a work in progress that happens over and over and you gotta be able to uh, be able to discuss and have people bring new ideas, see you, uh, talk to you and tell you what they're seeing from a different perspective and maybe you never thought it in that way. Uh, and that allows you to progress and like actually make your art grow uh, and be stronger. So all, all these things, just like the, the being together with other people and being able to discuss and being uh, open to discuss your, uh, your own ideas and your own mind uh, allows you to grow stronger and stronger. Uh, and I think uh, this Tuesday in uh, Crit Night is going to be really cool because I want to experience that and, and develop that. So it's a really wonderful thing Flower Shop is doing. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And it, it just, it creates this community and it's like a, it's like a container where people can, you know, express their ideas about each other and then they can, or each other's work. And then, uh, and you can just grow so much from critique, like, it's funny because I, uh, I mean, I, I went to art school, got a painting degree from Colorado State University, and I also played soccer there. And then I played, and then I ended up coaching the team once I graduated because the coach ended up leaving. It was a cool timing thing. So I ended up taking over this like college team as a coach. And I brought in the idea of critique to the team. And so like at the beginning of the season, the middle and the end, before we went into the big tournament, we would have these critiques about each other and like how we work on the field and like what's working what's not and being like hey you know i see you a lot of times that you're like making that run down to the corner but if instead you made a run across the top that would help me out because then i could hit you on that pass right there you know and like that open dialogue really did a lot for everybody and like it's i i think critique should be in, like introduced in so many different fields because it That's really that's I was a, trying to think, yeah. we're Miami Heat fans. I'm like, what if they had critique as they well, go into the playoffs? That's, a, that's pretty beautiful in soccer because uh, I always enabling critique and soccer is like, yo, you're being a ball hogger. But right. then the person really doesn't like to hear that and it like kind of humbles them down. And all of a sudden we're passing more and feel like a better team. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're holding the ball when if you, all I want to do is support you, if you pass it back to me and then make a run and then I hit you on the run, then you're facing the goalie and you can just like one time shot. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I also think like creating the space for crit because you're right. If, if something comes out of co out of context, somebody could get defensive that yep. you're like, trying like you're insulting them. But if you're create if you're carving out the space like you actually have to like give constructive criticism. That was always the hardest part in school was like, what am I going to say about this person's piece? But I have to say something. Do you start to like think in a different way? Um, so yeah, I think I think that's great. It's it's definitely should be introduced in more places. Yeah. And that's the, the cool thing from your guys' perspective, when you're hosting the critique, um, you like create the container, you lay the groundwork and you, uh, one thing that I've always found is really helpful with critique in general is if you think in terms of like, we're all on the same team trying to make that painting better, you know? And so then I can say to the artists, I can say like, I see what you're trying to do here, I think. And if, if you tried this, maybe that would make it more successful. You know, and there's almost like even a language that you can use that will like not put people into a defensive position because we're not fighting i'm not trying to break your painting down i'm trying to help it be better and so like what i would say 
this doesn't work for me necessarily, but if you do this, then maybe that would, or, you know, it's like, it's cool how like language can really affect uh, the success. Yeah. Lang it. Language and context, um, which is something we're going to talk about this summer, actually, with our curriculum is context. But I think in terms of like, uh, let's say a lot of the artists at Flower Shop are either people who have you know, like kind of corporate day jobs or like gig workers or service industry workers. Um, and I think, you know, you have your like coworkers who can become your friends and then you have your family and then you have like your friends, like whatever, your friends from whatever activities that you do. I also think that as an artist, you need like your art community friends, like so that it's not just like people that you go, you know, to the movies with or like drink with or whatever, that you have people who, know what projects you're working on and you can talk about it in that context I think can really help your craft because um, a lot of the times even before flower shop like I would find myself talking about my personal work to like my friends that I grew up with and that's not necessarily like like they're interested in it but I'm not getting what I would like to get out of it from them because and they don't need they shouldn't even be doing that like I, that's not what we are bonding over. So I think for me, a big part of creating Flower Shop was like, I was looking for the community that exists now because it benefits the way that my brain works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That's I feel that too, uh, um, like for example, because like, that reminds me of something is, uh, I've usually tended to do my work small because of what fits in my apartment. Uh, you know, now with Flower Shop, like we're able to do bigger, bigger works. Uh, but one of the things is I started, I developed my work small and then uh, talking to, in general, let's say friends or family will be like, oh, so cool, awesome, beautiful. Uh, but then I go talk to an artist and the first question they're like, hey, can I give you a quick critique? It's like, why not do it bigger? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, that's, that's true. I mean, my, my confinement is my, my apartment. But yeah, that's a challenge. That's a cool challenge to have. Why not being bigger? Why not do it bigger? Um, and even in sculpture, like I had a small little sculpture and I had a friend tell me like, why don't you go four feet? I'm like, okay, that's a little bit too much, but I'll go two feet. <laughs> you know, like that, that can work with that right now. <laughs> um, so it's like, I think like uh, comments like that, that actually like are, are, are valuable more than like, yo, hey, that's cool. That's cool that you use this color, you know? Uh, it's, it's sort of ways to improve. And in other aspects, I, I would think that uh, artists would like communicate between themselves uh, what other mediums to use or what other tools or effects um, that you only encounter in your own self because you keep practicing with these, but might help other artists um, in what they're trying to achieve. Yep. Yep. And other artists will see it. They're not, your friends and family love you and they want to support you. And they're gonna like, and people that don't make art are still sort of enamored by the magic of it. Whereas mm -hmm. like other artists, they don't, they see through the magic and they're like, let's get to the real, real shit about what you're doing here, you know? And so they, it kind of, it's like if a magician was asking friends and family for critique versus like asking other magicians. The other magicians are like, hey, I've seen it, I've done it, I know that trick. Like, here's what you really need to focus on. And that's going to be the like fine tuning that's going to make you a lot better. Um, I love this. I love this. Uh, I was, I'm hoping that I can get you guys talking on the equity element of mm -hmm. the Flower Shop Collective. That, that part is really intriguing to me, especially 
in the time and place that we live. This is 2021 in uh, the United States. And like, it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I think equity has is something that I have, we've both been always interested in as a topic, as people who um, are probably on the, the part where equity would benefit us. Um, and I think that when we opened up Flower Shop on a sliding scale is when we really got to um, push that into practice. And that was an attempt to sort of break down any walls that would keep somebody from being able to access a beautiful um, space. We're not in Flower Shop right now, but it's like a, it's beautifully lit. It's, there's just, there's a humongous window there. You're, you're not like, like sometimes New York studios are some of the, those like dungeons. Like, and then I think because of that, then you are, oh, I'm working out of a crappy studio. Then now I need to charge people like not that much money for my work. And, and then you kind of feel shame, like for even asking people for money. There's a lot of shame that has to, that comes with our industry. There's a lot of, um, there's like a mystification of the artist, which is, I think what we were talking about earlier, like the idea that one person makes a bunch of work is definitely, um, or like the, the, the idea that these like huge brands or big artists make the work by themselves is not true. Um, so I think it's something that we just like to shine light on what is, what actually, what labor is actually needed to make huge pieces, to make pieces and to get artists um, into the places that they are in. And I think a lot of that has to do with us talking about equity, has to do with us talking about some of the like horrible things we've had to do for money or like jobs that we took, like didn't pay us well and stuff like that. So like, I always open up the floor when it comes to flower shop of like, please um, don't feel like, cause a lot of people will be like, oh, I, I'm a bartender and, but I, I also paint. It's like you're bartending so you can paint, like start to think about it like that, like start to give your practice the respect that it deserves. Um, and I think that turned into like the sliding scale notion. And it's something that I would like to take even further, hopefully. Um, but for me, it's more like asking people to, to, to pay respect to their practice. And then I also think it goes into having artists sort of understand where they come from. A lot of artists sort of try to make work that looks like the work that's selling right now, or that like they try to like hype beast it a little bit because that's what's selling. And for me, I'm always like, where are you from? What is, is that important to you? Is it important that you um, inject your work with some sort of like cultural, uh, that has something to do with your cultural background. And I think like Cesar's work um, in specific, a lot of it is about uh, like pre-Hispanic and indigenous objects from uh, Colombia and Ecuador and that region uh, that like, let's say the big US museums have, for instance, the Met Museum here. And he sort of does the research on where they came from, why are they in the museum, how are they acquired, all the violence that went into that. And then he sort of paints his own like version and take of this piece. So I think a lot of what we, and that resonates with a lot of people. When we bring that project up, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, that reminds me of this and this. And I wanted to talk about this. So I think people have the ideas and concepts in their head. They just need to be allowed like the safe space to be able to talk about it, which is really what I hope Flower Shop is able to be for a lot of these artists. Yeah, it also, uh, I think the space gave um, the opportunity to have a, a really nice location that you can, uh, I think earlier before we, we had the space, uh, just to put it into a better perspective, 
uh, we had uh, some um, online magazine wanted to do an uh, interview mm -hmm. of of me or something, uh, but I was working out of uh, the second bedroom uh, of our apartment, and they didn't want that because that's not an art studio, so you couldn't uh, really invite them towards there. Um, and it's more like these people, uh, uh, journalists and stuff like that, are more willing to go to people that have an actual art studio, a nice art studio, and everything. And that uh, flower shop allows that to have uh, you have you can have studio visits where it looks like studio. It looks like a beautiful studio. You have, you know, a whole sculpture, like small Japanese saw. You can woodwork. You can do some like everything's kind of small, but it, it looks legit. Uh, in difference than having them come to your second uh, room, which is just your apartment. And uh, in, in that scenario, a lot of people don't take you seriously because uh, you're not more established. So if um, you equity in that sense, uh, uh, you still can um, kind of put yourself up there with other artists that might be uh, have their own studio. Um, but also in the sense that uh, it, it also um, gives you a further exposure of, of regardless of what you're trying to interpret or who you're trying to, uh, to your target audience to be. Um, I feel this is a perfect uh, spot to um, meet people with like-minded minds and they help you out. All these people, help, we all help each other out finding opportunities and finding other communities that are willing to look and seek what we're uh, trying to portray. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like giving, it's just giving so many opportunities that I think are just kind of naturally afforded to different people in different situations. And it, it like naturally gives these people a leg up. And then, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's like putting a frame on a piece you know you can have a great painting and but without a good frame on it that supports it and like gives it the proper context and you know you need the right lighting and you need if you don't do that you can completely miss the essence of a, a piece of art and it's like that except in like cultural and societal form yeah and also i mean we talk a lot i think with every single artist that has been in flower shop I've had the conversation about also like if you have immigrant parents and they um, they they expect a lot of people if you have immigrant parents and you're like I'm going to become an artist or their parents are like what the hell are you doing um, and well, I it think happens with people who aren't immigrants also <laughs> yeah, that's another conversation is like the sort of guilt of the guilt shaming that comes from like um families or parents who like are like I came here you don't know what I've gone through like to be here like you need to sort of like pick up the slack or like why you need to sort of I don't know a lot of the examples are like lawyer doctor whatever like obviously high paying jobs uh, because of the sacrifice that was done to come here and yes it is important to sort of honor those sacrifices of your family but it is also just as important to be true to like who, what you want to do with your life, uh, so long as you're not hurting anybody. And that is a conversation that we have a lot at Flower Shop. And I think sort of everybody just opening up about that, those kinds of like internal shaming when it comes to like, 
um, I don't know, brown families or people who, I mean, we have like undocumented artists that work with us and stuff like that. Um, it can, it's important, I think, to just put that out there um, to sort of let people know, like everybody's kind of going through that internal struggle and it's okay. Like, it's okay to be sad about it, angry about it, happy about it, whatever. But so long as you know that like, there's people behind you that are going through the same thing. Totally. I mean, I feel like the argument could be made that being an artist is going to honor or respect your family's challenges that they've gone through as much or or maybe even more directly because you like I mean Cesar it sounds you know like taking these objects from like you know pre-Columbian times and then like looking at like you know the probably the colonialization and then the way that things were like these artifacts were like taken through like blood and strife and war and then you know ex expressing that a lot of people don't know anything about those things and so like if you were a doctor yes you'd be helping people in these ways but like as an artist you can express so much of like history and culture and challenge and like like even more fully than like you know helping somebody who's sick people that work in medicine like they're doing so much good in that way but like not everybody needs to be a doctor and by being an artist, like being an artist of all different kinds, doesn't matter what kind of artist you are, you're like, you're mining your own essence and your history and culture and like what it is to be a human and what it is to live in this day and age and whatever. Like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's deep internal work, which is like, I would, I mean, I'm very biased, but I would say that that's some of the most important work that can be done. Yeah, I had, um, so one of the first things like I've, I've always been i guess an artist at heart so since i was a kid and everything and i you know my family has it's very artsy in its in its way uh i got in i got to like study international studies and political science because you know it was the right career path it was what's gonna make everybody happy and i'm gonna wear a suit and you know make people uh comfortable uh, but I always appreciated my, I always have friends that were artists, like in Cooper Union, uh, and the new school, all this. So I always appreciate it. I told him like, yo, you're brave, like to do this, this is crazy. You, I see you struggling every day and you're coming up with like ideas out of nowhere and they're so cool. And like, um, and I always, I always saw that bravery, uh, and, and really got very attracted to it. Uh, but I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, brave enough to like uh, jump into it right away. Uh, obviously, the first thing I had to do is had to show my family that art can support a life, and that's why I, I think I kind of worried for for uh, this contemporary artist. And then I started showing my family, hey, he's paying the bills. I'm in an apartment. I'm like, you know, I'm traveling. I'm I'm being a normal person in society. So you can you see art pays and um and they were they were like kind of green as they were seen and they were like amazed and all this stuff um and ultimately uh it showed them that it's more about dedication hard work uh you you have if you really work on your craft you'll get it done and uh and eventually it i think the last blow to my family to really like uh sink it into them that uh I was definitely going through this uh, uh, to do my career as an artist. 
is letting them know that uh, and that I was going to honor uh, our family, our lineage, our ancestors, which is something that um, we were trying to erase, I think, because it was something that uh, we didn't want to uh, much think of and just like move forward because being uh, being in the city and finding a bank job is was good, you know, when you get money and like progress. But uh, when I when I confronted like my mom and aunts, grandma with this, with what I was doing with, that came from my grandfather, um, they were really amazed to see. They were like, oh, I didn't even know you were interested in this. Like, I don't know. But it also opened up a lot of discussion from their part to me, showing me pictures, showing me artworks that they had for so long, like I got gifted this artwork that my mom had like for 20 years, uh, indigenous from like Northern uh, territory of Colombia right now. And I was like, you just been keeping this around and it just like, it's okay to give it to me now. But uh, it opened a whole huge discussion within, our, uh, within my family of um, how, how we should keep uh, these uh, memories or memories and like what we've been through like uh, life because uh, we all love my grandfather and I think it all it all dwindles back to there um, and we want to keep his memory alive and also like learn from where he came from um, but uh, I do have to say that my grandfather was the one who kind of like ran away from um, his indigenous roots to, because the thinking back then was that if you go to the city and you run away from like the indigenous roots, you're gonna give a better life to your family. So uh, he, he didn't pass on the language uh, and he barely talked about um, uh, where he came from. Um, and, that, and that I understand that that's the reason why like my mom and and aunts and grandmother didn't pass that along or ever talk much about it. So um, in a way, at the end of the day, it's kind of like therapy to, to say like, hey, it's okay to talk about this and we should be proud and we should definitely engage into this and we should all express this in somewhat or other way. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's completely understandable that your grandfather would feel that way because as immigrants that come in there's so much pressure from the outside like hey speak english you know like assimilate and join this culture and and like we don't want to hear about your culture that you came from and it's like there's just it seems like there's just got to be so much outward pressure so then that's the idea is like become an american as fast as you can and um but it's so cool that like second generation and you know like your your generations of of these immigrants are bringing it back and are diving back into it and turning the focus back on what was going on and like um because there was so much damage that has been done to so many people and cultures in general by this like you know just get rid of it and become an american mind mentality and there's like Oh, Latin America, South America, like Native America. There was so much amazing culture there all around the world. Like indigenous yeah. cultures everywhere. So fucking beautiful in their own way. Like at first I want to like my grandfather, because um, this, this, there's 
levels. There's ripple effects, mm -hmm. first of all. Uh, I experienced, because I was born in Colombia, I experienced the idea of becoming an American. Uh, my grandfather, he uh, was born in the northern part of Ecuador, which is Otavalo. It's like a beautiful indigenous community known for textiles and music. But then he went to the capital of Bogota in Colombia, and there he experienced like extreme, um, everybody didn't always thought of indigenous as being uh, primitive, um, you know, savages. And like, so you have to put on a suit and he wore a suit every day with like an awesome hat. He looked super, super cool, but he had to erase what he was before. And you have to speak Spanish. And you have to speak Spanish well. So that's why he never spoke Quechua, which is the, the language he spoke in uh, Ecuador. So that was the first bump. The second bump was like my mom had to move to to the U.S. because of uh, what happened in the 90s in Colombia. There was too much violence. So if we had the opportunity to get out of there, we got out of there. And once we came in here, it, it's the whole development of what we experienced of like, okay, now we have to assimilate to this. I had to experience it through how now I have to fit in into the workforce and I have to uh, really work on my English, my accent, all this, like little stuff that doesn't really, like it's not striking, uh, it's not very visible and, and simple to figure out, but like that you deal with on a one-to-one on a -one basis. Uh, but yeah, the Americanization is a tough thing, but you also undergo these things back in uh, Latin American countries with the people that were there before. Mm -hmm. So there's, a lot of little levels to it. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like the in crowd and the out crowd, the us, the them, the other, like these things are like archetypal and they happen everywhere. I remember I studied abroad in Italy and um, there was kind of a similar thing how like here in Southern California, there's the, the people that are directly from Mexico and there's like a similar like us versus them vibe that was going on between the Italians and the Armenians. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, that was that seeing that really hit me that it's like, this is just how this works. And it's like, fucked up. And it's probably always happened. And uh, I, hope, I don't know, hopefully consciousness can raise above that at some point. Um, well, I think that's where I was like, okay, so I was doing really important work with his paintings because it's getting his own family to talk about yeah. the, their like the erasure of their indigenous selves. Um, so that's when I was just like, this is like, this is good because that they're talking about this. Yes. Um, and I think, yeah, it's definitely reflecting what's happening now in Colombia and what's happening now in a lot of like parts of the world talking about indigenous peoples and that they still exist and that you shouldn't just write them off and assimilate to what has happened. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, these are conversations that we definitely talk about at Flower Shop Collective. Oh yeah. And then the art that's being made from that conversation is, I just feel like it's so important. It's so cool what you guys are doing. Yeah, cause like I've been around Cesar's family for a long time now and I had, I feel like in the past two years, which is when, or like three years, which is when you really started to take your practice seriously, I've heard more and more about his grandfather, who was an artist, who was um, a musician, and his he was in um, 
was that magazine? Reader's Digest, like did a whole article about his band. And I didn't even know that. And then some of his family members, like a few years ago, started to like bring copies of it. So like, it's just these people are proud of where they're from. They just need to be told like, it's actually okay to talk about that here, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, well, this is great. And uh, I think it's time to switch to the question section. You guys ready for that? Yeah, we're yeah. ready. Okay. So the first question is, uh, what was the breakthrough moment for you where you went from thinking that like this idea was just a dream to being to switching to being like oh this might be a reality like there's like a catalyzing moment and so um nadia maybe you could talk about it in terms of the flower shop collective and then cesar you as an artist yeah um for me it was when um just fast that other producer legitimized my idea for me uh and then like helped me take it to the hotel and then like these incremental steps that have happened it's still a work in progress like I'm still like I definitely still battle like imposter syndrome or like should I be doing this uh and maybe that'll just be forever but um I think having somebody be like, no, it's a cool idea. Let's go write some emails was like very important. And I still make sure that Jess knows how important that was, which is why I try to do that to these artists. Like, no, what you're saying, like in the last week when those artists were like, I'm sorry, I don't have my statement. Like, don't say sorry. Like, it's fine. Like, this is the first step. Everybody doesn't have an artist statement at some point. So I think just practicing, like looking people in the eye, saying like, I see you and we're going to do this together. Um, for me, at being told that by somebody else was really, really important. Uh, mine is the same. Uh, like I tell you previously, I uh, always admired the bravery of artists and I didn't have it myself. And I realized I just needed someone to hold my hand. And it was Nadia being, uh, being there and being like, hey, you should, you're an artist, you should definitely do this and um, you should really like take it seriously. Uh, and and to another point that you touched on, on like kind of like the discipline of doing it, the muscle that you guys kind of talked to. Um, I I realized that yes, I got to take it seriously because Nadia is, is, is like spinning facts right now. And we have uh, deadlines. And we have deadlines. <laughs> which I understand deadlines very well. That's what I do at my work and like at my job and deadlines are, are really good. Uh, but further on pushing it and making it a muscle of like daily routine or if you get to sketch here, if you get to do this, just anything uh, really works. And I think that really um, helped me kind of like really understand that I'm an artist. Uh, and secondly, having other people within the art community um, kind of talk to you like an artist because I have a lot I meet a lot of people there in the art community and do all this but we talk about other people's art uh, but having them see my art and having them talk about it uh, in the same sense that they talk to their peers it, it actually uh, feels very very nice very gratifying yeah support nice <laughs> Support made the breakthroughs. I love it. <laughs> and now you're passing it along. It's great. Um, okay, so next question. This is a topic that I geek out on a lot. And that is the concept of flow state or like being in the zone is another term for it. And that's when you just get in your groove. Everything else in the world fades away. It's you and whatever you're doing, full presence, 
time sort of seems to evaporate. It's like you're completely in your zone, in your in your world. Um, what would be your favorite flow state moment that comes to mind? That has happened or where, where I'd like to like hone in in general? Uh, you can take it either way. So how I like to hone in is I have a little, uh, I made this workshop table at flower shop that has, you know, has everything you need, but um, I'm here from, from scratch uh, and I have a little light on top of it. Uh, I like to go there at night, just turn on the light, turn off all the other lights, focus like this focal point of the table, put some music that is relevant to whatever I, the art I'm trying to do. And because we're in Greenpoint, which is a Polish uh, neighborhood, uh, have a, a Polish pint by my side. And then if I got those things going on, um, yeah. I can go in without thinking. It'll be four in the morning and I won't even know what that was, what has happened. Oh yeah. And it is, that sounds awesome. <laughs> is there uh, is there like a specific one of those times that was like really particularly amazing? Yeah. When I, when I really like found that this was possible, obviously we had to have the space um and kind of like the first project that we worked on that i worked on uh heavily was for future fairs it was a online um art fair and uh, i had to come up with a series uh well i already had come up with a series but uh, i was doing um several different wood block uh i painted with acrylic on wood blocks um i was doing five of them so i had to hone in into this discipline of had a schedule and getting them done by 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 a certain date. Uh, obviously, in paper it was perfect, but a lot of little troubles, a lot of indecisions, and I have to fit this to my schedule to go like after work. So um, it definitely did not fit into my required hours of the day, and they went to like two in the morning, three. So yeah, but they were fun. I got a lot. I got to like. Um, talk with the RPs and have it talk back to me and like a lot of like oh this sucks this looks terrible but then it was like oh it's nice you know and seeing why what, what I really did it for like would uh you know what would my mom think of this what would my grandma think of this like stuff stuff like that um so so yeah but it, but in the moment it's kind of like stressful and daunting but once you complete it and you have uh the experience of it it was uh it was really fun. You also, I think I know when you're in flow state, when you're listening to Colombian hip hop, like once like he starts <laughs> playing like Colombian hip hop, I know he's like thinking of stuff. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> uh, for me, hmm, I feel like with me, it's difficult because I have to put on like producer hat and then like, uh, and then like creative hat. And to, for me, they're two different like things, at least like I can't, I can't answer the emails and do the logistical stuff for the fairs and the tours or whatever. And then also think about what I want Flower Shop to do from like a creative perspective. Um, so I definitely try to separate them. My brother, Adam is a software engineer and he's always telling me about like these like deep, what is it deep work that a lot of people are talking about. I don't know if you've heard of it, Taylor, like Cam, Cam Newton, I think is his name, but he's a software engineer and he talks about 
deep work and how you have to get this part of your brain working that is not distracted and how email, Instagram, like all the things that pop up on your phone at a given day are deteriorating your, your ability to focus. So I, for me, I've been like really trying to um, learn about that because I know, I know I feel my attention like becoming worse and worse. Um, so I've been trying to do all of that stuff, like, like everything that they said, which is, uh, he's like, if you have a problem, you need to figure out to go walk outside and to just think of that problem. Like, don't go get, get a coffee. Don't go talk to somebody on the street, like take a lap and think about how you're going to solve that problem. And for me, I've been trying to do that and it's actually helping me a lot. Um, so that for now has been my flow state is like walking around my neighborhood and like not even listening to music or anything, just thinking through like the next step of what I need to do. Totally. And it, it seems like like one thing that I heard a while back that really works for me is compartmentalizing my days. So I'll be like, all right, I'll make my, I have, I'll take a piece of paper and I'll write out all the different things that I need to do. And I, I'll, you know, this is like painting, this is um, organization, this is my website, whatever. And then I'll, I'll write out the to-do list and then I'll, I'll color code them of like, this is computer work. This is physical work. This is errands. And then from there, I'll make my days and I'll be like, today's a yellow day. And that's where errands need to be run. And then tomorrow's a computer day. Because if you have to switch hats, you like, you lose the momentum in one thing. Yeah. And, and, it like and it's not going to be good. Whatever you do. I used to like brag that I'm a multitasker. And then somebody's yeah. like, you know, it doesn't exist, right? You're just doing a lot of things badly. <laughs> <Totally. laughs> Totally. Yeah, no, it, I, I'm, I'm terrible at multitasking. I used to try to do it and I just would just, just fuck everything up. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. This is going to be a good question. I think you guys are going to knock this one out. Uh, what is your advice to aspiring creatives of all walks of life, all backgrounds and, and genres? Yeah. Um, do I go first or should I go first? Um, I can go first. Okay, go. Um, I just, I, I think the main um, advice, I guess, is just don't be afraid to uh, to follow what speaks truly inside of you. Um, I think uh, we are, we let a lot of people around us and like society tell us what should be expected of us and what we should do um and that kind of like creates doubt and sets you back years could set you back years i think it set me back years uh but at the end of the day what it doesn't matter what you choose as long as it's something you're pouring your heart to it and you know you're going to put like a lot of, of mind and and dedication to it if you're a hard worker and and you're willing to like be around the same creative minds and like people that are, are doing uh, that type of work, I think you, you should totally go for it without being afraid. Be, uh, and the reason why I say um, this type of advice because a lot of young uh, young people in their early 20s are very afraid of, you don't, of course, you still don't know yourself, but they're very afraid to face the world and what they're supposed to do and what, what uh, steps to take. And, you know, you're coming up with like, how do I make money to survive, to actually do stuff? Um, and you just spend a lot of time partying and trying to like figure out what's going on, but you spend it in the, and, and you don't do much stuff. So uh, I think it's just being, being very, very confident of what you're 
inner uh, what's inside of you telling you. And as long as you put in a lot of hard work, I'm sure uh, it will bloom. Uh, my advice would be yes to make to make the work you want to make because you're going. I agree, you're going to spend a lot of time and finding yourself coming back to this point, right? Like a lot of artists are like, oh, I've did this, this, this for years and now I'm doing the thing I wanna do. And now look, it's working out better for me than it was in the beginning. Um, and then my second piece of advice is to find community. So if you are in a place where there's not necessarily an arts community because you don't live in a large city, um, I think you're, we're very privileged that we live in New York City and there's a lot of access here. Miami is a big city as well, but the art community, it's much better now. But when I was growing up, I wish that like I had more art community um, other than Art Basel that comes in once a year. Um, so my advice, if you live in a place where it seems like a little bit of an art desert is to find community no matter what. So it can be online or of that nature and to sort of reach out and start speaking about yourself as a maker, um, as a creator. And once you sort of take ownership that you are an artist, which I think is the biggest first step is like getting past that thing that you want to be an artist or you're trying to become like you already are and like speak like it, you will actually see like doors open for you um, quicker. Absolutely, love it. And uh, speaking of community, if you guys want some community, jump on the Facebook group, Art and Life, oh, yeah. <laughs> where we throw out questions and you guys can talk about your art and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, oh, that, yeah. okay. that was my shameless plug right there. <laughs> um, yeah, awesome. Community, totally. Uh, all right, last question. This is the, the big show right here. What's your definition of art? Oh, gosh. <laughs> If I have to put it very simply is, and I always like, I've talked to a couple of artists about this. And if you have a long enough talk about it, uh, you're always going to end up at the same work. It's going to be like, it's going to leave you in the discussion be like, oh, totally. Yes, of course. And uh, it's love. Like art is love. And if there is love in what you're doing, the sculpture, the painting, it is so strong. That was a great answer. I don't know how I'm going to talk that answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, expand I think huh? I could expand on it. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think that um, art, art is somebody attempting to speak the truth from their perspective. Um, and I think I, it totally relates to what Cesar just said, that it is love. It is um, when, when you see somebody talking about something that they really, really, really love to do. It doesn't even have to be like a painting. It can be like, I don't know, uh, gardening or something like that. Like all of that is an artistic practice. Um, and that's why I love the conversations that people are having online that are like, you don't need to come out, but like you can do art just as like a decompression of your day because you need to, like my mom does that. And she has been making art since flower shop existed like I never saw her growing up making work and now that we're all talking about this like she started to make her own work and like is proud to share it with us like on in our group chat so to me it's just exactly that it's telling people it's okay to love something and to like be to speak about it yeah totally it's uh it's cool because it's love in a couple of different ways one is it's the love that you put into it but then it is sort of its own like 
manifestation of that love because it sort of becomes its own thing and then that love is something that you can feel when you are the viewer looking at it um like looking at the dog portrait on on your wall in the back there like first off somebody you know i don't know if that's your dog or whoever's dog but that dog is loved and then there's either you drew it of that dog or you had somebody else draw it of that dog so it's like love it's you're asking you're, someone's putting love from the image onto that paper and yeah. then you know it's like it's like this recycling of this love and this growing and this like rolling over of the dough of love that's happening and then like as the viewer when you you know you eat the pizza dough it's like oh this tastes like love just by yeah. looking at it exactly do you want to say about the wall? there's a lot of love back there <laughs> i can see it there's a bunch of love <laughs> this is a, a dog that i had uh, for 18 years and she passed away last year uh during the pandemic so uh we designated this wall and it's all friends and uh, different artists that kind of like drew or had their interpretation on on uh, our dog uh, and in some way they touch uh, their lives because either they uh, babysat or they walked there or something like that. Uh, this is from my from my niece uh, and, and my niece uh, stayed with my dog for a couple years in Miami and like very tough times for her. So yeah, there's a lot of love in that one. No, oh. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, okay, so now this is the part of the podcast where I thank my guests for coming on the show. I really appreciate you guys taking your time and energy. It's it's really awesome that we were connected in this way that we get to like extract all of these concepts. And um, I I really respect what you're doing and you're giving you're like holding the door for so many people and like you you're I, I'm at part of a, a collective here and it's like collectives are so great they're like these incubation like nests for artists to you know find their way and develop themselves and like it's hard to, it's hard to just do that you know it's like a, a bird needs a nest to grow and to like hatch their egg and then like figure out you know like who they are in the world and then and then they fly out into the world and then all hell breaks loose but you need that <laughs> nest and they that, <laughs> yeah it's crazy out there in the world so uh you're you're doing that for everybody and that's really a beautiful thing so thank you we're happy to talk yeah, talk to you awesome. and meet you and yeah we're happy to be here yeah absolutely um okay so why don't you tell everybody where they can connect with you guys where they can follow you um are, are people able to join into your lessons that you're going to start doing yeah, um, so, like across the country or world? Yeah. So um, everybody can follow us on, we're on Instagram at flower shop collective. Um, we also have a website. You can schedule a tour. If you're in uh, New York city of our studio, um, you can also apply to become a member and the like membership thing is there. Um, in terms of our slow process summer, we're going to announce the first half of it tomorrow. Um, and that's going to consist of some um, in-person workshops in Brooklyn and in Miami, but also we're going to do some Instagram lives um, for people who aren't part of, like who don't live in those cities. And then for the second half of the summer, we're going to announce a little bit later, 
Um, but we're going to have some virtual workshops at the second part of the summer so people can um, attend from afar. Sweet. And um, my Instagram is Castro at Castro CR, K-S-T-R-O-C-R. Um, and um, I have a website too. It's uh, ccastro.com with a K. Um, yeah, and I want to be part of the first uh, workshop. Right? Yeah, Cesar so is going to be leading um, our first workshops, which will be about natural dye processes and like how to make dyes from stuff you have in your refrigerator and that kind of stuff. Wow. Awesome. Love mm -hmm. it. Um, all right, sweet. Well, this is the end of part one. Um, to finish off, I was hoping that you guys could each give me one little bit of wisdom for the people. And this doesn't need to be art related. Okay. Um, my wisdom is to speak up when you see somebody um, that needs speaking up for and to always stay true to what your intentions are in this world. And uh, those are my, especially right now, there's a lot of people who need speaking up for. Yes, um, I would say uh, the wisdom that I'm still, I kind of tell myself and, 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 and keep on practicing every day is to speak the truth and not be afraid of it. And that's, um, I think it's an ever going battle. It's, it's scary the truth but uh every day we have to be better at that love it all right we'll be right back again this podcast is brought to you by high ground coffee an adventure coffee brand with a new twist on brewing coffee wherein you steep coffee like it's a tea you just drop a packet in hot water and you go it's the newest way to brew coffee and it's awesome use coupon code taylor at checkout for 15% off. Visit them at myadventurecoffee.com. That's myadventurecoffee.com. And we are back. Okay, part two. This is where it gets crazy in a good way. Um, so yeah, what'd you guys think? You guys enjoy part one? Oh yeah, we. I was saying before that this is one of our first podcasts. I've been... I helped a friend with a podcast like years ago, but I was just behind the scenes. So uh, I think we're doing a good job. We're not no, rambling great. too yeah. much. Yeah, and it seems very uh, natural, like very comfortable. Sweet. I love that. I love to hear it. I mean, that's what I wanted it to be is just like a nice flowing conversation. And, you know, it's no big deal. And it's funny because a lot of people, when I interview them or when I invite them to be on the podcast, their first thing is like to backpedal and be like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't think I could do that. I'm blah, blah, blah. like, we're just talking right here. Like, it's just a conversation. Exactly. Um, but um, so part two is kind of just like a free flow. It's whatever we want it to be. And I had this idea yesterday uh, when I was driving and thinking about it that we could start out. I can, I'm giving you the option. Okay. There's three ways we can go uh, in terms of part two. You can like bring up something, bring up a question that you've been thinking about or something that you guys have been geeking out about that you want to talk about, that you want to like bring up for us to go off of. Or you can choose concept, abstract concept, or you can choose a question from me. So I'll, I'll ask you a question. I'll ask you three questions and you can pick one. Or uh, you can say concept and I'll throw out three concepts and you can pick one. Oh, what do you want to do? 
Let me think. You two. Uh, concepts. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. These are the concepts I have for you at this moment. Number one is the relationship between time and space. Okay. Number two is the subconscious mind. Okay. And then number three is the ego. Okay. Now we have to pick one of those, right? Yep. Okay, you pick because I picked the category. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, have, I can touch on all, all those in several different ways. But the one that speaks a lot is the subconscious mind uh, because uh, you have a question based on the subconscious mind or we go on that topic. Well, just take it anywhere you want. What's interesting to you about it or what, what stands out? So with the subconscious mind, um, what I try to do with my work, especially this um, uh, series, Noi uh, Canicula, which is hallucination spelled backwards, which is hallucination, is try to tap uh, uh, to this term called blood memory, which is memory that comes from our ancestors way back, centuries back. And in that essence is what I'm trying to touch is to like, the subconscious mind and the idea of liberating my mind of prejudices and and of of walls to allow it to flow uh, to be very fluid to be very uh, from my mind to to the to the brush to to flow uh, straightforward and uh, and that acts a lot on the subconscious. Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, almost like just like a passed down memory from your culture, from your family, from your ancestors. It's like deep, deep within you. Um, yeah, and you hear about this like being passed down through lots of different cultures and how there's like a there's a recurring like feeling or a vibe that that people have, and then like individually with your subconscious. I mean, it's like flow state. What you're doing is you're trying to shut down the conscious mind and get into the zone where you're in like um, i don't know i forget which brain state where your waves are going but um it's like the ideal form pattern so that you can just like flow you're not like the some the, the normal conscious mind is like trying to get in the way all the time and like critique as you're going along which is like slowing down the process yeah, I think for, for me, it's it's more, I've been trying to like trust myself a little bit more in general. And I think with starting Flower Shop, because Flower Shop, like, yes, it's a community, but it's also like a small business that I'm starting for the first time. So there's a lot of um, like scary things that I have to do in the more of the, of the practical sense. Um, and for me, I've been trying to, which I think my parents have been really good at in terms of like how they were able to come here and survive and make a living is just like to trust the process and like trust yourself. So I've been trying to do a lot of like, like subconscious like meditation that kind of stuff to just like allow myself to make a decision without thinking like 20 times after I make the decision was it correct what what happens if it's not correct and like that has been a process that everybody in my life is involved with me. so um but 
yeah, that's something that I've been trying to do is sort of just relax. And like, that's why at the beginning of this, I was like, yes, let's meditate before we start this podcast. Cause I've been in that mindset of just like, Nadia, chill, like take a step back and you don't have to think of every catastrophe that could possibly happen if you make this decision. Totally. Have you heard of morning pages? Mm -mm. So there's this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Oh yeah, every like people were doing it during the pandemic, I think. I saw a bunch of Yeah. Yeah, totally. It was a great thing to do then. Um so the morning pages is this practice of you have a little notebook next to your bed with a pen or a pencil and uh the first thing you do like you just take 10 minutes and you do your morning pages. Whatever time you're going to wake up, set your alarm 10 minutes earlier. And you basically you wake up, you open the book and you just start writing and you, you know, you can fill three pages. She says fill three pages. I always just did one. Um, and just like, cause I felt like it was just as effective and yeah, you just like write and all you, the only parameters, the only rule is that you have to fill the page. Like you could write the same word over and over again, if you want, or you can do it like whatever. It's like stream of consciousness basically. And the kicker to it is that you don't, re you don't read it again. You don't oh, wow. go back, you don't, there's no punctuation, no spell checks, no nothing. Um, you don't share it with anybody. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not for that. It's for basically what it is, is it's to get that like brain dump happening. And it's to get, and really it's interesting because like to fill a page day after day, after day, after day, after day, you have to stop critiquing your work while you're doing it you have to stop second guessing yourself. Yes. And so like, that's what I noticed over like the time that I was doing it is that I really just stopped questioning my own thoughts. And I was just like, no, I need to fill the page. So like, this is how I'm going to do it today. And that's how I'm going to do it tomorrow. And this is how I'm doing it right now. And like, you just, it's like you shut it off. And, and it's cool because at that time of the morning, uh, you're basically in your subconscious mind. You're basically like, almost still dreaming you're just on the other side of the door of it and yeah it's like before you've had to deal with whatever your day has for you <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, wow. so that's our uh so so i interviewed this one artist recently his name is vladimir kush and he is this russian-born artist who does amazingly beautiful metaphorical paintings and he's got four galleries one's in Miami one's in, or he's opening one in Miami he's got one in Maui Laguna Beach um Las Vegas he's crushing it and um his work he calls it metaphorical realism it before he explained what that was it felt very Dali-esque to me yeah. and like Dali was doing Dali in that time period um the surrealists they were doing a lot of work with like dream state and like sort of like mining their dreams and their subconscious and there was a lot of like um I don't know Sigmund Freud was doing his thing like I, I'm just curious like how you feel about like your work and like is there like a sort of a dream time element to it so um there is because they uh how I put my work is that they are kind of like floating in a dream state um, and the palette I use is a palette of crimsons for uh, the objects themselves, uh, which 
that um, alludes to the idea of blood memory and blood connection and how the objects are are acquired through blood. Um, and then the black in the background leaves that space of, uh, of uh, being in a dream world, of being in a hallucination is the unknown, is that connection that has not been made by the subconscious or that connection that has not been made because the world is not there. It's, it's, it's been kind of taken from our minds. Um, and lastly, I add um, a gold leaf, which um, kind of alludes to like the, the haziness or, or the non between reality and non-reality of it. Kind of puts a, a, a middle ground to it and uh, to be more precise, this is the kind of, uh, I, I actually got this inspiration from where I took it and from where I uh, um, look for inspiration from is in, um, in Japanese um, folding screens uh, when they were gonna tell a story in a painting, uh, kind of like the tale of Genji or something they will use um, um, clouds to kind of like close certain aspects of it and it leaves you uh, as a viewer, as an omnipotent viewer. And sometimes you look into, into buildings and it, it gives it this dreamy feel because you're beyond uh, their world, the world you're viewing into. And uh, I wanted the, the the gold leaf kind of put put that um, in between us, between the viewer and the art, uh, as to not take it so uh, to not to take it as a part of our reality, uh, but uh, a reality that could have been uh, or a reality parallel to ours. Oh, you're muted. I'm muted. That was, there's noise in the background. I didn't want to mess it up. Um, so yeah, it's almost like you're, uh, you're creating the frame of you're like, Hey, by the way, this is like, you're not in your normal world anymore. You're in this hallucination world of like where everything's different. Interesting. Yeah. Like, uh, the dream time or like the world of hallucination or like, you know, the in-between spaces are, are really kind of fascinating in terms of the subconscious and like makes you I don't know it, it brings up questions of like what what levels are we existing on and are we like existing at in one at a time or are there more things going on at once like in different layers and we're just tuned into a certain frequency like on the radio or something yeah well I think Cesar and like um Fluttershop talks about it a lot too as just a general theory but there's a um, she's a cultural theorist named Ariel Azule, and she has a book called Potential History, which is the theory of potential histories of peoples who weren't subjugated to imperialism. And she talks a lot about like, what would happen if colonialism didn't reach some of these shores? Would these objects be able to like, because a lot of the objects that Cesar makes paintings of were actually objects. Yes, they're beautiful. They're made of gold and they have like, something drawn on them, but they were actually used for practical purposes. Like they were um, used to hold things or a hairbrush or a walking stick. And then it is only because it was sort of kidnapped and put in a clear 
box at the Met that now we're looking at it as just like an object that's not to be used that's to be looked at as art. So that's another like pathway that we like to go down is thinking like these things were beautiful and people were using them as cultural and spiritual objects. And now nobody's allowed to use them and you can just look at them and you can only but imagine like what they could be of use for now. Mm, totally. That's an interesting thought of like, what if that didn't happen? The <laughs> colonialism element as well. Yep. I read a book recently by a guy named Graham Hancock. You guys heard of him? No. He's like uh, a journalist who writes on like historical situations and then like puts pieces together. He's not a historian, but he had like puts together hypothesis and like uh, the, the book was called America Before. And mm -hmm. it looks at like all of like North America, South America, Central America, and like um, puts different evidence together from different geologists of like, what if life here was a lot older than we think it was mm -hmm. and you know right now the current narrative is like you know maybe a couple thousand years old um right. but he's like proposes these ideas of like actually what if it was like a lot older than that and there was like um high civilization in antiquity in this area and it's really fun to think about and like mm -hmm. consider and it questions the narrative like history is just a story that people have agreed on yeah and there's like right. parts of it that have been edited out for oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah that's stuff that i think Cesar's work touches upon pretty well it's a lot of um yeah the fascination with history is so great and uh and i i think i've been, i've always been attracted to history in general you know we all we all first fall uh, in the u.s we all first fall in love with like general narrative of the uh, uh, 200 years of the United States. So Revolutionary War, World War, all wars, these wars are like, oh, I want to learn more about World War II. There's so much stuff going on, so many details. Uh, then you start venturing now more into like what's in in, in college, I would say I, I venture more into like, so I, now that I have understanding of time in a linear way from the American perspective, from the Western perspective, how do I pinpoint all these other Eastern cultures or all the other countries within it? Uh, and it goes even further and you develop this time-lapse of a history. And then you start noticing there's a ton of gaps. There's a ton of time and there's so much information to fill in. Uh, and we only kind of really know the Western um, historic lineage from uh, Greeks, Romans, towards where we're now uh, and but all these people have been doing stuff uh, uh, you know Africa Asia South America uh, and and in a lot of and there's a lot to read of but there's also just a lot of of, of missing text missing uh, recorded history which allows for so much interpretation like not interpretation but like kind of just wondering what if and it's so fun to just go down that mindset and just being like before the Spanish came into um, South Central America, there was four huge uh, civilizations, um, obviously Incan, Aztec, Maya, but there was another not huge, but advanced 
which was the Muisca people, Muisca people, uh, Chipsa people, Chipsa talking people around Colombia, um, ter the Colombian territory. Um, and all these uh, different empires were developing uh, their own um, path or transcourse through history in a whole different way than what was happening um, in Europe and Europe had connection with the East. So they shared a lot of ideas, but um, these peoples were develop developing a history that didn't involve the wheel, uh, had no written languages, but but somehow they developed to connect so many people within uh, such a vast area, uh, uh, like area ter uh, territory. So it begs to like understand, like, so what were the other things they were doing? Like, how was their technology advanced? Uh, and it, and we always bring it down because it's not what we understand. Oh, they didn't have a language, so that means that you know they didn't they didn't have a, a written language. Sorry. So that means that they're um, they're not as as smart uh, as we are because we have a written language. We can write anything down, but they did have uh, the Incan Empire apparently have a way of communicating through knots, and and I don't know. There was a way of interpreting that. Was that more mathematical? So why aren't we giving it the the acknowledgement it requires? But uh, sort of like these kind of stuff that you can venture more and more, and we're kind of like history has been nipped. Uh, uh, it's really fun to go into those realms and really, really think about like uh, how cool they were and how cool their potential was. Yeah, uh, and how like legitimate they were too. I mean, it sounds like these like cultures were huge with huge bustling cities that worked great and um, the it sucks because the like the standard operating procedure of cultures as they expand and then conquer and then take over is basically okay we took you over we're going to burn everything we can't use what we can use we're going to assimilate and then write over everything so whatever you had fuck it it's gone we don't care and this has happened through like how many thousands and thousands and thousands of years in all these different places. And uh, we just like have missed out. It's like um, Graham Hancock, again, he calls humanity like the, the people with amnesia because it's like, we just like the amount of wisdom and knowledge that was in the library of Alexandria yeah. that burned like from thousands of years ago, it's like, how far ahead could we be right now if like you know instead like all we have from then is like the written stuff from plato but like what right. if there was like ten thousand times that wisdom that we could all draw from and maybe all these problems that we're having have been had so many times before and have already been solved but we just do the same thing over and over again which all started that all started because of during medieval times uh, the whole erasure of knowledge through Christianity, uh, and then uh, the Middle East was able to rescue and translate all Plato, Aristotle, all these things that were kept alive by these people, and then translated back. So, like, following that translation, a lot of stuff was also uh, lost. Um, and even in recent history, with the uh, um, with uh, China and Mao Zedong, with the uh, 
the Cultural Revolution and the burning of all books, all these ancient like Confucianist, uh, Taoism texts that had so much knowledge and they just had to burn them because the only uh, book that was allowed was the, I think the Little Red Book, the, this, the communist book. So it's like, it's just dumbify uh, your population and it can be controlled, uh, which is sad because yeah, we don't kind of advance. We just are here to serve a purpose to produce for our government. Right. And it's, it's interesting what that does. Like when humanity has history and is aware of its history, then it kind of changes what time looks like. But when you erase all of history and then all you have is this book of like what to do today for your government and how to exist as a citizen today then all of history is cut off and then all your like a human existent experience of time is like so small and like shrunk down and like really that's almost like what um that effort of these like rulers burning books is doing is it's like shrinking the existence of their people so that they can be controlled it's like taking people who are like multi-dimensional to be making them one-dimensional and then yeah, you take people's power away like that and then yeah. they resist you if they don't have power right the power of the past the power of like wisdom and knowledge and yeah no i think like i think um What's her name? The girl that won the U.S. Open. Um, she beat Venus Serena. Williams. Serena Williams. She beat Serena. Uh, she's half Japanese. Yeah. Um, she's half Japanese, half black. But she was like, I cannot. I'm gonna totally misquote her. But she was like, um, like when I'm reminded of my ancestors, I know that I cannot lose. Um, and I think like a lot of people like quoted her after that because um, she she beat Serena Williams. Uh, so, but. Um, I like, I don't know. I always think about that quote because it's true. Like if you know your history, if you know where you come from, it's a lot easier to make informed decisions and to feel, to feel like you have power, which is why like community and all these things are important. Um, it's why having a supportive family, having a supportive partner, having that's all important to somebody's mental health and like ability to be able to like exist with power and purpose in this world. Um, so yeah, it's, definitely important yeah and like stability like your stability as a human being is like really like weighs on our community and our connections mm -hmm. whoa <laughs> we definitely yeah we, we got very philosophical yeah. there at the end <laughs> yeah yeah that's what this is all about that's what this podcast is all about and that's what part two is about like part one is good and we like get into some stuff, but part two is where we like dive off into the deep end of things. <laughs> um, yeah. Any, any other thoughts about anything you guys want to throw out there? Um, I think like what we kind of part of the discussion and part of your uh, one of your first topics is uh, space and time and seeing how uh, what it means. Um, a lot of the time is trying to understand your position within space, uh, but trying to uh, keep uh, keep in touch with also the time that you're in. Uh, and as as an artist, and like just questioning every every time is like, 
are we really just confined to this space and time? And how is the mind or subconscious able to um, keep in touch with other space and time if we do uh, look upon our ancestors and look upon the, the past and seeing everything that has been in the past to make us be here, uh, isn't there a connection with another time? And in that sense, with another space that, that well, we're not currently in. Uh, it's just one, a really, really complex question on like, on how, what you were asking in uh, the beginning of like, how, how do you identify with space and time? And like, if there's several different aspects of it, and um, I think through imagination, it's uh, and creativity is a great way to find connections with different um, parallels of space and time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's like artwork and like everything, every kind of art, you know, architecture or written language or anything like that. It's like uh, these like, it's like a shockwave that you get that sends out into like across space and time and where you can communicate with somebody super far away. And like, you know, whoever built the pyramids was expressing things. And we, however long later, can look at that and feel what they're pushing for. And like, we can understand what's going on or like, um, <laughs> the thought that comes to mind is one time when I was out on the playa at Burning Man, dancing at this, this club party thing out on a bus somewhere in, at nighttime, they like a Michael Jackson song came on and yeah. think what you want to think about Michael Jackson. I've got, you know, everyone's got their views and, and he's, he was not a perfect human. Um, but in that moment, I thought it was really interesting how he comes on and like, he, he still exists in this frequency of music. You can press play on a song and you can hear him, you know, and that goes for every musician ever, like, you know, Johnny Cash, you can listen to him and he's still right there just as much as he was when he was alive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can read Plato and you can understand like his thoughts. You're like, you're basically like sitting there with him. So he's not real anymore, but there's like his frequency still, frequency still exists. And there's like, reflections of of that concept and idea and, and thought form yeah I think this morning I was um on like a work zoom call for flower shop with the one of our poets and she was saying that it's still like a marvel to her that she can um read what people were writing thousands of years ago uh so it's like she's like I could be impressed by anything because I'm still impressed by that uh, and I think it's it's true. And it, a lot of the things that they talk about. That she said that today. I know, right? <laughs> she's very like, she's, yeah, she, she's very, she was telling me that she can sort of like tap into this, like, uh, I don't know, because she asked my brother who was also on the call if he moved out that day or something. And he had, so she, I don't know, she's on some other level. Um, but she like, I agree with that because it's sort of the problems that they are talking about a lot of the times or the, the, things are trying to figure out in their work are still kind of prevalent to whatever we're dealing with. Um, so like issues of loneliness, issues of feeling um, like you're alone in the world, issues of violence, issues, those are all things that are probably not gonna go away, are, are definitely still relevant now. And 
I think that when you read things from even hundreds of years ago that you can still be like, wow, that's still an issue or it's still helping me get through something I think is pretty, is pretty crazy. And it shows that your art will outlive you. So you should pay attention to what you're putting out there in a good way. Totally. It, uh, it, it like legitimizes it that much more that that, that effect does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, shoot. I was just going to say something. I'm sure it was going to be brilliant, um, but <laughs> I forget what it was. I just blanked on it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, this has been awesome, you guys. I, I really yeah, appreciate you being on the podcast. And, Thanks. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. And what I'm doing with these is I'm, I'm building up these little these communities with these people and then you know over time we're going to check back so i'd love to have you guys on in another like year or two or whatever and we can see like how much everything has blossomed and grown gone with stuff and cesar will want to hear about you know your big show and the main gallery (laughs) at the plant and (laughs) you know all the stuff (laughs) that's exciting yeah no we're down for any any community building we're there for yeah Cool. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks for being on, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much, Have Sandra. a good rest of your Sunday. You too. Bye. So that, my friends, was Nadia and Cesar with the Flower Shop Collective. That was awesome. Those guys are a joy. That was a treat. I really enjoyed that conversation. What'd you think? Did you have fun with it? Did you enjoy following along? Um. I think it's really cool what they're doing. I feel like that incubator time is just so important for any um, artist, creative of any kind, any small business, really. Like you really need a little bit of time to get the idea flushed out, developed, um, get on its feet, and then go out into the real world. Because the real world is where there's all sorts of different things that it's gonna run into and you gotta be ready but you can't really be ready for those things right off the bat. Like an idea can't just get clobbered by all the different challenges of the real world right away. It needs to be able to like get some flow figured out and um, see what it's all about. So it's really cool. I tip my cap to them and everything that they're doing. It's going to be really fun to see how that develops over time. I mean, I, I just know that so many artists and creatives need what they are offering. So um, yeah, good job, guys. Good job. Look forward to talking to you in a couple of years and see how it goes. Um, yeah, I hope you guys are having a good day out there being creative. Um, I've been listening to these while I drive. What about you? When do you listen? I would love to know. Uh, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook at Taylor Gallegos Art. Tell me what, what you're doing. And uh, definitely join uh, in on the Facebook group, Art and Life, and see what we got going there. I always release the podcast there first. I tell people about it. And there's conversations surrounding the topic. So it's a whole lot of fun. And with that, I think that's it. I think that's all I got, guys. Talk to you in the future.